Welcome to the May 2022 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Chris Hughes, a member of the Resource Center staff. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Gail Fanumiai, Director of the State of Alaska Division of Elections, and Tiffany Montemayor, Public Relations Manager for the State of Alaska Division of Elections, about how they're preparing for the Alaska special elections this year. Gail and Tiffany, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you both here. I know it's a busy time, so I appreciate you you getting on. So first things first, I know our listeners are are chiming in from all over the country. Where in Alaska are you joining us from? Are you both in Juneau? We are in Juneau, yeah, the state capital. Yeah. So the Alaska Division of Elections has a few offices around the state, right? But you're all you're headquartered in Juneau. Correct. So the director's office is in Juneau, and we have one of the five regional offices here in Juneau. Mm-hmm. Other regional offices in Anchorage, Wasilla, Fairbanks, and Nome. Got it. So I'll get started just by asking about why we're even having this podcast in the first place. What is a special election, and why is Alaska preparing for one right now? Well, the special election is a special primary election to fill the vacancy of Alaska's only congressional seat. Our long-term congressional representative, Don Young, passed away, unfortunately, on March 18th. And the Constitution requires the vacancy to be filled by an election. And our state laws require a special primary election to be conducted within 60 to 90 days after the date of the vacancy, followed by then a special general election. So right now, what you're really focused on is the special primary election. Is that right? Correct. That's what we're focusing on at this point in time. Yeah. And what are you working on right now to prepare for that election? What's like right in front of you? Well, what we were working on and have been working on is, you know, securing a ballot mailing company, a ballot printing company, hiring absentee voting officials throughout the state, ensuring we have adequate supplies on hand, getting ballots mailed out, hiring temporary staff to log all those ballots. And Tiffany's been doing an outstanding job on voter education and outreach. So there's just a lot of moving parts happening at one time. And Tiffany's going to talk a little bit about the public education port. Yeah, so tons and tons of voter education. And not only because of how they need to vote, which is they need to vote for only one candidate in the special primary election, but the election is by mail. And there are a lot of people who may not be familiar with that and they've never done it before. And so we are putting a lot of attention on how to vote your ballot and then all of the requirements you need to send it back to us, which is in Alaska, a voter signature, an identifier and a witness signature. So just trying to make sure that everyone's vote counts. Yeah, and filling out that paperwork can be it's just a new process that people have to learn and it can be a little challenging, especially for at the, in the first time. So Gail, I know you walked us through this quickly in your first answer, but can you talk a bit more about the timeline for this special election? When it got called, when you have to hold it by, and, and how when we'll have results by, if you know exactly when we'll know? Sure. So our state statute requires the election to be held within, like I said earlier, 60 to 90 days from the date of the vacancy obviously needed the most amount of time possible to be able to prepare for the election, as well as 
then trying to have the adequate amount of time to be able to allow the special general to not have to be a separate election, but to be able to hold that with the August 16th primary election. So that's why we've chosen the date of June 11th, the timing of that to get ballots in. They have to be received by June 21st. Our law allows 10 days for by mail ballots to be received. And then that gives us adequate time to certify the election and have a small window if candidates decide they want to withdraw and then advance and prepare the ballot for the regular primary election as well as the special general election. It sounds a bit like you just have like back to back to back elections this year. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. I mean, and you can see that we had a compressed timeline, 90 days to pull off a statewide election when we typically start planning for our primary, our August primary in January. And so that's a seven month window and we're compressing all of this into 90 days. So we had to take a look at what's the most successful path for an election here. And that is the reason that by mail was chosen. It's not a division's preference to do it that way, I'm going to say honestly, because we have not done one the statewide before. But we didn't feel that we would be able to secure, recruit, train over 2,500 election workers, get our equipment out and back, and get it back in time to be retested for the primary election. So that's the option we went this time around. But you're right, June 11th, special primary, August 16th primary election slash special general election, and then November 8th, general election. And then we have redistricting throwing in on top of all that. Yeah, it's a back-to-back action-packed year here for the division of elections. Yeah, I feel like midterm elections are busy enough as it is, especially in a redistricting year. You just, you're really getting everything shoveled on top of you a little bit. (laughs) Oof. So... You talked a bit about this, but I'd I'd like to dig in more. So you said you chose to go to an all-male election because of the timing, because of how much time you had, and just in terms of getting people trained and getting machines out to jurisdictions that would be challenging. Were there any other factors that went into that? What were all the things you were considering that, that made you go that direction? Well, those were the two main factors. I mean, you have to have an adequate work pool to be able to man 441 precincts you know, with an average of four workers per precinct. On top of that, you have to have more people for your various boards. So just in the time frame, 90 days to recruit, we're already, we're starting a recruitment for the primary election. It just did not seem feasible to be able to recruit and adequately train, deploy equipment, like I said earlier. This seemed to be the path to the, a successful election for the state of Alaska. And you said you this is your first ever statewide all-male election, is that right? That's correct. Okay. We've done very small by-mail elections. I mean, we're talking really small by-mail elections. <laughs> Nothing to the tune of 500 plus thousand voters. So Anchorage does all-male elections, is that right, for their municipal? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Is that probably the biggest all-male election that's been done in Alaska before this one? Yes, they're the largest municipality in the state. I think they have over 200,000 registered voters, close to that number. Mm -hmm. You know, almost half of the number of registered voters statewide. 
So there's a large population that is accustomed and used to, you know, by mail voting, although their rules are different than the states because the locals conduct their own elections here in Alaska and they have different rules. Right. So that's why Tiffany has been, you know, working hard to get the word out that you need to sign your ballot, provide an identifier, and you need a witness. It's different from the way the municipality of Anchorage does theirs. Oh, interesting. So there's that will be something to keep an eye on is how people adapt to that process. Yeah. So Tiffany, can you talk a bit about how you're handling that voter education, what you're focused on now, what you're planning for down the line as well? Yeah. And also, too, just really quickly, because I don't know if many people are familiar with the way elections work in Alaska, but state and federal elections are administered by us, uh, you know, Alaska Division of Elections, and they're not handled by cities or counties, which we actually don't have counties, we have boroughs. So there is a lot of other extra work that, that goes into having, like Gail said, a successful election. So, but yeah, no, with voter education, we are literally maybe using every medium and channel that we can to reach out to voters and to engage with them. And so that's, you know, everything from sending out a mailing to every voting household that goes over, you know, the really big important parts of the special primary election. And then there's, you know, social media ads and promoting, you know, your posts and things like that. We are doing TV ads and radio ads and digital ads, things in the newspaper. And there are a lot of moving parts to that. And and then, of course, too, just our regular social media engagement, organic posts and uh, chatting with people there. So we're doing a lot, I would say. And and like Gail was saying, in a very compressed time. So. I'm really curious. Alaska is an extremely rural state. How do you make sure you're reaching people who are really in like far flung parts of Alaska? Well, one of the big ways is radio, because there are a lot of radio stations in those rural areas. And that's especially important because a lot of the rural areas have Alaska native language speakers. And there are radio stations there that provide programming in those languages. And so we send them PSAs that are in the languages that are spoken in those areas. And we have an amazing language assistance department who works with several panels for all of the Alaska native languages. And I send them things and they get it translated. And then we work with that. And you know, that's the other big part of everything that we're doing, whether it's the mailings or videos that we're making that go over the special primary election, we're getting those things translated and then putting them out there or, or mailing them. So there is that extra part uh, that's in there on top of everything else. How many languages are you providing uh, materials in? It's about it's about nine right now. Yeah. I was speaking with people in Arizona recently, and they need to provide in Maricopa County, need to provide materials in Diné, which is an oral language spoken in like Navajo tribes. Are all of the languages in Alaska written or are any of them just oral? No, they're historically unwritten Alaska native languages. However, we were providing just, I guess you could say off the cuff oral translations 
and then we changed how that is done. So we do provide written documentation. So our translators, our bilingual poll workers, outreach workers have consistent materials that they're able to read to people. So that's the reason we've gone the written route. How do you write in a language that is historically oral? Like what are the processes you have to follow to do that accurately? Well, that's the challenge. And Tiffany said our department, we have two people in our language assistance section, two full-time staff, and we rely heavily on panels. So we have panels of well-known speakers in the various Alaska Native languages that get together and they talk through how best to come up with a word for something because not all English words are easily translated into general central Yupik, say. So it's quite an art, I have to tell you. But these panels do a fantastic job of making sure that they are getting words across that will be understandable to those who don't have English as their first language. Wow. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. I wonder, too, how do you staff those panels? How do you find the people to put on those panels? Is it through community organizations, through language organizations? How do you do that? Outreach to tribal entities and uh, Native corporations, word of mouth. Most of the people on our panels are recommended by certain groups. And so we, we just feel very lucky and fortunate to have a great set of people who are so dedicated. You know, they meet regularly. During COVID, of course, it was difficult to have in-person meetings, so they did a lot via the computer, and that makes things difficult. It works much better when they can convene together and meet as a group and have open discussion about what does this mean and how to translate it appropriately. Right. So challenging. I like, I want to keep talking about it, but I've already spent too much time on this. It's so interesting. And especially, I don't know if you've seen this report, I can share it afterward, but some like ranked choice voting and language minority, for lack of a better term, uh, community organizations put together a report on providing like in-language materials for ranked choice voting. It was all in Spanish, Korean, Hindi, and I believe Mandarin. I don't think they worked in any native languages, but that seems like a really interesting place for that project to go or something like that. We have quite a few materials on our website and the videos that we've done have been translated into ANLs. Right. What sorts of questions are you getting from voters, from candidates, from parties right now about the election? Well, most of our questions are coming from voters. And one of the big ones is, am I supposed to rank candidates? In the special primary, it is a nonpartisan top four primary, which means that the top four vote getters at the end will advance to the special general election or a general election if this was a regular primary. And because those are both new things for voters here, some voters are conflating the two. So they have questions about that. They have questions about the ballot also. There are 48 candidates in the special primary election. And so a lot of work and thought went into designing that ballot that was going to fit 48 candidates in that one race. And so, of course, the ballot looks different. And the way that we put candidate names in order, it works out that every district, and we have 40 districts, has a different candidate name on the top. 
And so we do get a lot of questions like, why does my ballot look different from this other person's ballot? And that's actually the way it's always been done. We've always made our ballots like that. But I think with 48 candidates, it stands out more, that candidate order. And also, too, because it's such an interesting ballot and, and there are definitely some well-known names on that ballot, people are posting a lot of pictures of them on social media, which then you know, means that they're better able to compare their ballot to other people's ballot. But yeah, a, a lot of questions about that. And then, of course, in any election, but especially this one, because it is by mail, we are getting a lot of election security questions. So... Yeah, I'm I'm sure they're just flooding in right now. Yeah, and and that goes back to how you know, a lot of people just have never done this before and so they're unfamiliar with the process of voting by mail and unfamiliar with the process of how we do things. And so we are trying our best to relay that information to them so that they know what is going on and and we're trying to be very transparent and let them know every part of the process. When I'm able to speak to someone who questioned the integrity of voting by mail, and if I have five or even just 10 minutes with them, by the end of that call, after I've gone over everything, they are a believer. They understand it, they do trust it, and they are like, wow, thank you for going over that. I'm gonna tell you know, my cousin or my sister or my friends, because we were talking about this. So yeah, it's really great when we do get to go over that process with people and put information out there to help answer those questions and help relieve some people who were just unsure. Yeah, I think that clarity and that transparency really goes a long way with people. I'm curious, this is me pitching an idea more than anything else. Have you thought about sort of recording a video version of one of those conversations as just like an educational tool. Because if you can get that back and forth with people happening, it might be a good way to scale it up. I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, no. <laughs> like If that conversation is so effective every time, the more you can scale it, the better. Because there's just too many voters to talk to all of them one-on-one, -on -one, unfortunately. Yes, that is true. I definitely would not have time to talk to over 500,000 voters at, at one time. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I imagine that all of their questions would be basically the same. So I would be giving the same answers. Right. Yeah. And the hard part is so much of it is the give and take is the like responding and validating concern while also like saying this is why that's not happening. This is what makes this trustworthy. Yeah. How do you recreate that in a video? I don't know. <laughs> Something to consider, I guess. Okay, so one question that I, I sort of skipped over earlier is, I know this election, this special primary, is all male. How are you preparing? How are you thinking about pivoting for the primary slash special general election where it would no longer be all male? How are you trying to like prepare people for that shift? Well, that is actually probably going to be easier than preparing people for a bimail election because um, you know, having polling places and voting in person is how it's always been done. So they're more familiar with that and they know how that works. And so you basically, when it is time for that, after this special primary election, we're going to do the same thing and promote the same thing. You know, Here are the polling place locations and 
you know, we're going to do poll worker recruitment and everything that we've always done before. And I think in doing that, people are going to realize, hey, we've reverted back that, you know, voting by mail was not a forever thing. It was just the special primary election. I think one of the things, too, that we'll focus on is that making sure people know if they want to vote by mail in the August and November election, you have to submit an application because that's the traditional way to get a by mail ballot. So what is your best case scenario for these special elections? With so many moving parts, like what are you hoping to pull off? A miracle? No, um, no, seriously. Best case scenario is just to engage as many voters as possible because that's the goal of the division. While continuing to make the whole process as transparent as possible, you know, letting voters know what's happening. I think we've been doing a good job. We're going to start posting statistics today of how many ballots we've received back. Once we start counting ballots, we'll start posting um, our results every time we count. The best case scenario is just to keep doing what we've always done, following the law and being open and transparent throughout the whole process. And what are some of the pitfalls you're, you're trying to anticipate that could come up? I think the pitfalls, Tiffany mentioned some of them. The primary has been known as a top four primary, but we're trying to stay away from the four because we want to make sure people only vote for one. Just vote for one because that's the law. Vote for one at the end of all the counting, the top four will go on to the general election. Just encouraging people, walking voters through the process of what they have to do to sign their voter certificate on the back of that envelope. Make sure they provide all three statutorily required components signature identifier witness. We want to enfranchise voters, not disenfranchise voters. But we have to follow the law. You know, making sure people get their ballots postmarked on time. We sent ballots out 45 days ahead of the election for everybody, which gives people a lot of time to vote and return their ballot, get it postmarked and receive timely. So I I mean, those are some of the things, you know, we just want to make sure voters are enfranchised, doing everything we can to make sure, you know, they have access to voting. So signature identifier witness. The signature is the person who is voting the ballot. Identifier is someone who says, this is someone I know, and they are who they say they are, and witness is a third person. What are those roles that people are playing on the ballot envelope? So it's the voter signature, and then the voter provides an identifier, one of their identifiers. So like last four of your social security number, your date of birth, your driver's license number, your voter number. But that's all being done when you're filling out your envelope. That's all being done with somebody watching you do that. And they're going to sign and attest that they were there. They saw this. They signed it. They put the location and the date. And then the next thing they do is just put it in the mail. There's no postage required either this time. So, Oh, that's great. So all postage is paid. Yes, it was. Very cool. And ballots have to be postmarked by election day? Correct. On or before election day. And they have 10 days after that to be received. So this is digging a little bit more in on the weeds again, but in really rural parts of Alaska, how often does mail service come? And is that 10-day deadline challenging ever for people who like need to sort of time up with the plane that brings in and takes out mail? You know, I don't have specifics on how often mail comes in and out, but I know they all have access to a postal office. And we are having weekly meetings with our local postal reps here in Alaska. 
and they're doing everything they can to ensure all their postal locations understand what's happening, the election's happening. It's important that, you know, you're there, you're open, you're accepting ballots, you're getting them prepared to be sent back out. So I think we're having good communications with our postal service and then giving voters a significantly longer period of time to actually receive their ballot vote and get it back. I think that's very helpful as well. Yeah, you sent out ballots. When was it about last week? April 27th. April 27th. And people have until June 11th to actually send them. But I guess you'd recommend sending it in earlier than that if possible. Definitely, definitely. If anybody is listening to this in Alaska and has a ballot sitting on their kitchen table, go fill it out now. (laughs) Send it in now. How does this compare to other special elections you've worked on, either in Alaska or elsewhere in the United States? Well, the other two special elections that I'm familiar with were statewide elections, but they were done in person. There was more time to prepare for them. They were um, special advisory vote elections, so you knew they were coming. And I think that they had to be done within 90 and 120 days after the legislation passed. So it was, we had more time. So this differs significantly. It's all by mail. It doesn't involve as many people out in the field, but it does involve more people within the division. So hiring extra temporary workers to log ballots hiring a larger than normal number of absentee review board members that actually, you know, after staff logs the ballots, this board reviews them and determines, you know, the final eligibility of the voter to cast the ballot. So we've had to increase those numbers, but um, it's more contained directly within the division than it is relying on a lot of extra moving parts out in the field. Yeah, that makes sense. Is this the largest ever candidate field in an election in Alaska? Yes, I think for one race, that's the largest number of candidates I've ever seen. We had 51 originally filed and three withdrew. So we got down to 48. And like Tiffany said, magically, we were able to get them to all fit on the front of a ballot, Mm -hmm. not have to turn it over to the back side. So that was a remarkable task, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and keep it so people can actually read the words on the page, too. It's just a lot of information to get. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing with that is that a big chunk of those candidates filed either on the filing deadline day or right before it, which meant that we couldn't really just get the ballot design done as soon as we knew there was going to be a special primary election because we didn't know how many candidates would be on it. And we had to get the ballot designed within just three days, maybe, Gail, so that it could be sent to the printer. Is that right? Yeah, I think we had like a two-day window to figure out how we were going to make this work after the withdrawal deadline, because we had to give the printer adequate time to be able to print the ballots and then also do the mailing part of the whole getting the ballots out to all the voters as well. Speaking of printer, have you had any challenges with getting enough paper for the elections this year? You know, we were very fortunate and we have a an in-state printer who does our ballots. We have a, an ongoing contract with that printer who does our ballots already for the primary and general elections. And he was prepared to have paper stock for that. But because this was an all-by-mail election, he's not set up to do the mailing portion of things. So we were lucky to find a company that had, you know, an ex- has extensive experience doing this and they were able to fit us in their schedule. So the timing was amazing. Yeah, that's. it sounds like you got a little bit lucky, but a little bit of good planning too. 
Oof. Definitely, because we're hearing nightmares about paper shortages and yeah. our ballot printer in state, you know, ha has been on top of it already for the August and November elections. And he was able to secure additional paper um, somehow to print ballots for us that we're using at our all of our absentee and early voting locations here in the state for this special primary as well. Wow. So do you expect to be set on paper through the end of the year for all three elections? Yes. Feel good about that. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> it's incredible to me that we're facing such an intense paper shortage. I don't think I've ever heard of this before. It's unprecedented. We were aware of it, though, you know, early in the year, because because of redistricting, we have to send out new voter identification cards to all registered voters. And the printer who does that for us says, wow, there's a big shortage in that type of paper. But we got our order in early and the paper's coming the end of the month. So we'll be ready for that. You had to plan things a lot earlier. So when you needed envelopes printed, instead of sending them in March, you had to get them out in, say, the end of January, just to give the printer time to be able to get the paper, get everything printed and back to the divisions. Yeah, right. Was that part of what was driving your ballot design deadline was just that turnaround time? No, the printer themselves just needed the time. They had the paper. They had the stock for the envelopes. They needed time to design the envelopes. And then just to uh, print test ballots, proof ballots, all that stuff before they could actually put the real official ballots in the mail. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, two more questions. Obviously, the special primary election is the election that you're planning for right now. What do you have set up for the regular primary, the regular general election? Slash, like, how are you getting ready to pivot to those after the special primary in June? Well, we had to shift our focus, obviously, to the special primary. So now that that is pretty much all the balls are in place here and everything's rolling, the wheels are turning good on that, staff is now shifting towards, as well as still logging ballots that are coming in every day, working on election worker recruitment and planning training for our workers for the August and November elections. So that's the next big focal point for staff and getting polling places secure for the August and November elections. So they're kind of double dipping here. They're, you know, busy logging ballots for the special primary, managing the staff, and then they are still trying to recruit workers, plan their training, because most of the training for a large portion of the state, especially Northwestern Alaska, requires travel. And you can't drive everywhere. So it's a logistical challenge to work on training. So that's a big chunk that's going to take place here in the next few weeks ahead. Then Tiffany, you know, just getting the word out again that this isn't it, folks. You know, we've got really three more elections on two election days coming up, and here's how they're going to be. So, yeah, and I was going to mention another thing. In Alaska, we make an official election pamphlet for the general election. So we also have staff who are working on that right now at the same time, because that takes a really long time to get together. And we send that pamphlet out to you know, all voter households, and it's got a, a lot of really important information in there. So that's being worked on right now at, at the same time. One of the reasons we're so focused on educating people about the special primary election is because, like I was saying, there's a difference between this and a ranked choice voting special general election and regular general election. 
And there are things that changed from the way we used to do primaries. And now they're not as drastic as the way generals used to be run in comparison to ranked choice voting generals. And so we started educating voters about ranked choice voting and the primaries like March 1st of 2021. And we've been really kind of focusing on the ranked choice voting part a little bit more just because, like I was saying, there are a lot more differences with that. In our education plan timeline, we were going to really, really hit hard on the primary part of things, like, you know, maybe in two, two and a half months before the primary election, which was August 16th. And with us having the special primary election now in June, obviously we had to start that hard push much sooner. Like Gail was saying, three months to make this election happen. But because we were sending out ballots 45 days before election day, that meant that we had just like a day or two over one month to really make sure voters knew what was going on, that they knew how to vote their ballot, they knew how to send their ballot back and, and things like that. So really, the voter education part did not have the full um, three months. And it's ongoing. And every day we're doing everything we can. But you know, we really had to get it together in just those few weeks. So that's a big part of it. And as soon as, you know, the special primary is over, we are going to have to really start focusing on the ranked choice voting part in addition to the primary part. But the good thing is that people will have already gotten a feel for a primary election because of this special primary election. But they will not have ever done a ranked choice voting election or, you know, seen that on their ballot. We've been providing sample ballots for people to see them, you know, again, since March of last year. But with that one, we thought we had more time to to educate voters about that. And that's been pushed up as well. So just kind of working double time on that and making sure we don't forget about the other parts, even though we are focusing on the special primary election. Because like Gail said, we have three more elections after this one. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a lot of balls in the air, juggling constantly, probably also like riding around on a unicycle on a tightrope. Amazing. I want to keep talking about this, but we are running low on time. So on the like voting methods changes, I've heard from other folks, you have mentioned a couple of times in this episode that people seem to be sort of, when they hear top four, they don't realize Maybe obviously they don't realize it's a vote for one election. Four people are getting nominated. You get one vote. How are you cutting through that with folks? Consistent messaging that is just telling voters, remember, you can vote for only one candidate. And with that, too, we're lucky because there are a lot of organizations and groups around Alaska who have reached out to us to ask, hey, what's the messaging that you're putting out there so that we can put out the same messaging? What things are you focusing on? And then we can tell them, well, we're focusing on making sure voters know to only vote for one candidate, making sure voters know how to send their ballot back. And so that's been really great too. And working with the media to get that messaging out there also. But the biggest part of that is consistency in that messaging and just like I said earlier, trying to use every path possible to reach voters. Yeah. I imagine people may have questions about 
voting both on the vacancy and the primary on the same ballot in August. But at least there'll be different methods. Different methods. But I think what's going to be interesting there is that they could possibly see candidate names two times for the same race. Same office, I should say, not the same race, because really it's a primary race and a special general race. So that'll be something that we'll be tackling in the weeks ahead. Yeah, there's a similar situation happening in California right now, actually, because Alex Padilla was nominated to fill Kamala Harris's Senate seat after she became vice president. But because it's a Senate seat, and this is the law in California, he has to win a special election this year to fill the remainder of her term. And so he and a few other people are showing up twice on the same ballot in California for that vacancy election that he's participating in, as well as his regular primary election. So it's happening in at least two states, probably a couple others this year. Uh, okay, last question. Describe special elections in three words or less. Unexpected voter engagement. Perfect. Tiffany, do you have three words or, do, or is it the same? I have three words, but I'm not going to say them. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% agree with Gail. I think that was much better put than I even could <laughs> could say. So. Very succinct. I love it. All right. Well, thank you both so much uh, for joining us today. I really enjoyed talking to you about this. It was a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate you making the time. Best of luck with the rest of the year, and here's hoping for high turnout and wide margins, as they say. Thank you for having us. It was great. Yeah, thank you. Of course. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Melissa Hall with this month's final round. This year's special election to replace Representative Don Young is the first time that Alaska will use a new voting method. In November 2020, Alaskans voted yes on Proposition 2, which altered the way they hold elections in the state. Proposition 2 created a Pick 1 primary with a RCV general election. In the Pick 1 primary, all candidates for a specific office will run on a single ticket, regardless of party affiliation. Voters will select one candidate, their favorite, and the four candidates with the most votes proceed to the general election, where voters will then elect a winner using ranked choice voting. And that's this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our May 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates. Take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform too. For more information about RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website, rcvresources.org. Production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.